Aren't you afraid of dying? To die is different from what anyone supposes. And luckier. That a lot me, Opera. <laughs> it's Walt Whitman. I can't take credit for everything, Mr. Baker. You really believe that you're lucky to die? What I believe, Mr. Baker, is that this is all far from over. scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago. He he had some kind of, you know, a, a sort of very studious look about himself, like he was going to go uh, dig up some information. He said to let him go look into the karmic credit plan. So, I mean, you know, it's a it's kind of a bold new world with bold new ideas. So we'll see kind of what that yields. I, I don't really know. That's that's news to me. Um, but hopefully he can share a little bit of what he finds there. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you back to our series on learning how to lose titled in the morning. This series is meant to help us meditate on loss as we navigate life inside a pandemic wild days to be sure. But I'm getting ahead of myself because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain, except for maybe right now, when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube, and you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you will find episode archives and merch, including campaign buttons, some lovely t-shirts, some cell phone cases, some magnets, some read. Hey, buddy. Hi. Welcome back. I'm, I'm really dying to know what you found in your digging through the karmic credit plan. Is that just like a new thing through your bank? Is that like something existential and non-currency related? Like. I didn't have any karmic credit references. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> that was my problem. <laughs> I've been here so long, my karmic credit got good. <laughs> what if you don't have a baby? Check again. <laughs> wow. Okay. Chances are you've got at least one baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Man, old Chris Rock's making a comeback. 
I wonder. I do wonder because, like, tell me, the we've been friends for a very long time, and and I wonder with all of you the and little, Chris Rock, yeah, yeah, we go way back. Oh, we go way wow. back. It's really, yeah. He's. I mean, you do kind of know everybody. He's a good guy. I have met him. I won't tell the story because it's not that big of a deal. But um, the uh, but no. So uh, you and I go back so far that I wonder where listeners sit with like these little inside jokes, these little things that are like, what are they referencing? Clearly, says something <laughs> from entertainment. But like, I don't know how you know. Like when we when we pull things like I'm a soul soul father and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, do people know? Do people because they're not they're not like things. Sometimes we reference things that are made up between us, just that have emerged from sure. our interactions. And sometimes they're just things that we watched and enjoyed, and they're out yeah, there twenty years ago. Yeah, they're right. out there in pop culture. But <laughs> you know, pre-viral days. You know, like those those were the early days of the internet. Old, you know. So I don't know. Yeah. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> Let's see, business section. Ooh, la, la, what do we got here? <laughs> it's business time. It's business time. <laughs> All right, so listen. Riri, what you got? Listen, here's the thing, listeners. Uh, we want you to uh, go and subscribe to our show uh, so that you can receive some email communication from us when big, important things happen. And listen, as an incentive, uh, we will give you a free sticker. Listen, all you got to do is go to the website, go to the fearofgodpodcast.com, uh, just click that little subscribe button, and then respond to the email that it sends you, and then we will reach out to you, ask you for the way, the, the best, most comfortable way for you to which to give you a free sticker. And you can place that. Like, I don't know. I, no, I don't want the most comfortable. I mean, that because what is that going to require of me to get that to them? Like, you know what? I want you to hand deliver it. Um you know, or via carrier pigeon. There's a there's that Simpsons episode where um oh <laughs> where Barney is like it's like a faux Beatles episode. Hey, and, and, and Barney is like the John Lennon of the group, but he's like lovey dovey with a, the Yoko Ono of the group. And they walk into Moe's tavern, and Moe's like, "What can I get for you?" And and he's like, uh, he's like, "Oh, I'll have a beer." And she said, "I will have a single plum floating in perfume served in a man's hat." And Moe just goes, "Okay," <laughs> and then like pulls them both out. From the- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, yes, it's perfect. When you say, "What's the most?" comfortable way we could deliver the sticker sure, to you. I, sure. we really don't want that information <laughs> we just want a mailing address <laughs> so great so yes uh subscribe give us your mailing address we'll send you a free sticker you can put that free sticker on anything you want and uh it'll be great so yeah that's what i've got and then when you put it on whatever you want pending it's you know safe for work nature uh post it to social media and that'd tag us and that'd be great <laughs> yeah, yeah we'd, do, we'd love do to that see. i think we'd love to see that um uh next bit of business is guys guys i hope you are enjoying the audience participation what you're watching reading and listening to oh, man. we did a couple of installments with some little friends little little foggers <laughs> <laughs> um we did an installment last week with continuity guru steve beckley um we've got a new one coming at you this week but oh, boy. uh if you're enjoying that even if you're not enjoying that we would enjoy receiving one from you so Record yourself, record your spouse, record you and your spouse, record your neighbor, record your kids, record your, your neighbor's kids, you know, whatever. Just get the permission. Yeah, first, be, okay? be careful about so that. So record them and then what? <laughs> so be careful about that. <laughs> Just yeah. make sure they Record know. them and email that recording to fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to utilize that on the show. And uh, that's that's all I got, Reed. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's showtime. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, listen, last week 
Tell me. Le- le- sometimes there are advantages. Are you telling me to listen? I'm telling no, listeners, listeners to listen. Everybody listen. Listen when I say something. Okay. Um, the <laughs> every um, uh, every so often there are benefits to uh, tagging and and sharing things on social media. And uh, last week, uh, one particular listener, one Mister Tony Fagan, won uh, a a copy of Lovecraft Country. Autographed by Matt Ruff, and all he had to do was just congratulations. Post it. Tony. Yes, congratulations again, Tony. And all he had to do was just post to social media. It was a great, fun time. Um, and so, uh, in tribute to that, and in uh, uh, deference to his continued supportive listenership, uh, we have a very, very special surprise for you at uh, at the moment from one Mr. Tony Fagan himself. So, uh, uh, go ahead. No, it's, it's a Grateful Dead song. Watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to. Fear of God <laughs> podcast. That's great. All right. I love it. That's amazing. I love it. Thank so you, much. Tony. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Tony. That was great. Um, so yeah, Nathan, what, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? So we uh, we did finally dive in because my wife made fun of me for how minuscule amount of money it was. Um, we started. We we signed up for Apple, the Apple streaming service, whatever it's called. Oh, Apple, it TV Apple Plus. Apple Plus. Yeah. Sure, isn't? I don't know. <laughs> We got a we got a year um, of it free when we got the new we got a new Apple TV for Christmas and it just came with with a year free of it. Um, we've enjoyed it; it's good. Well, cool. Well, we did not get it free. <laughs> um, I would like to get it free, but instead we're spending five bucks a month. Okay, which is yeah, well, that's not too bad. yeah, that's not bad. Um, and we did start defending Jacob. Um, I read that novel. Uh, did, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I've been curious to to see the series. I actually was going to watch it day and date of release, but that was the day I discovered it was a series and that they were only releasing the first episode then. So I was like, okay, well let me, let me hang back. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I know, it's complete. Yeah, it's complete now. But I was, I was sort of monitoring the progress up to its release because I knew it was coming out, but I did Um. not know until literally, maybe that's just my own deficient research, but I did not know until like literally the day before or day of it was released that it was a series and not a film. It is complete now. I just haven't made it to it yet. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're about four, maybe five in. Okay. And it, my wife is watching it. Mother-in-law is watching it. So it's, you know, it's kind of our, our thing. The group of the trio of us are watching right now. If it were just me, I might have sort of passed on it after a few. Gotcha. Um, I don't have her name in front of me, but the, the actor from Downton Abbey who plays Michelle wife. Yep. Mm, Yep. yep. Michelle Dockery. She's great. And Mm -hmm. Chris Evans is good. Um, you know, there are moments where you're like, maybe you don't quite have the range I want you to have. Um, (laughs) this, uh, kind of in summation, it, has the production value of something like those first few episodes of outsider, the outsider. Yeah, sure. Sure. But scripting wise, at least the first few, it was pretty, 
gosh, this is a strong phrase. It was kind of paper thin. Sure. You're like, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. good. Yeah. But there's not a lot of there there. And even to the point, I'm not making this up. Episode five, the most recent one we watched, I think four, I don't remember five or six, something like that. Like they have Chris Evans say the line, whatever it takes. Really? Oh, okay. It, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And you're like, ah, that seems dumb. Yeah. <laughs> It's not really a winky show. Right. right? That's it's the thing. Not, Defending Jacob is not the self-aware. No, we're gonna, it's not the <laughs> right, moment right. where, you know, he, he below camera pulls up a little cap shield like, wink, wink, you know, and then lays it back down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know, y'all. Y'all remember when I did um, a thing? I did a thing. <laughs> y'all know who I am? <laughs> you recognize me? I still got that sexy Infinity War beard. Um, oh, well. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I I will finish the season, uh, which I'm pretty sure is kind of the, it for the show. But I would imagine so. Uh, yeah. yeah. Right now, it's it's more kind of a. Meh. It's all right. Meh. I get it. I get it. Um, so that's that's what I'm watching. Okay. Um, or a thing I'm watching. So my wife and I uh, are a little late in catching season two of this, but we have been catching up, and as of this recording, are on episode seven of the second season of Dead to Me, the net the Netflix series mm-hmm. Dead to Me. My wife enjoys that. Um. Yeah. I. I loved the first season. Uh, my wife and I both did. And it was just propulsive viewing. Uh, the first season was really fascinating premise. Um, it, it's the kind of thing that because each episode is pretty dependent upon like surprises, you know, the premise kind of out the gate, which is two, uh, people meet up at like a grief share meeting, uh, and, and, strike up a bit of an unlikely friendship and then things progress from there in some again really propulsive ways uh the first season is very entertaining and and the second season is quite good my wife and i were reflecting on kind of where we are with it like i said we're about episode seven i'm not bored and i'm genuinely enjoying myself but it doesn't quite have the the sort of just enlivening uh, energy that season one had um it's it's good. It's it's well written. It's it's got some strong performances to it. Actually, I said well written. It's it's competently written, um, but uh, and it's got some strong performances. But uh, season two, Does Christina Applegate at one point say, "I was married with children." <laughs> no, but more than I remember, and I tell you, if anything, if any TV show on the planet will acclimate you to the usage of the F word, the leftovers will. But even having just recently rewatched season two and three of The Leftovers, Dead to Me, they use the F word. You went back through all the way three? My wife had never seen the show. Goodness gracious. I cannot listen. I feel like. No. I I feel like you got taken in a (laughs) cosmic anomaly and I'm left here wondering, like, what the hell? (laughs) Where are you? (laughs) I just left you in the hotel room. I just left you in the hotel room. I said, you go. Well, we're not even there yet. No, we're not. We're not there yet. So look at you. You're not. Right. That's not how this is going to work. <laughs> I'm going to start smoking profusely and wearing white. We are living reminders. Um, yes. So, yes. Uh, no, but but uh, uh, all of that to say, like, uh, you know, there's there more than I remember from season one. There's just a lot. And season one was mature content anyway, but more than I remember from season one, there's just a lot of, of just sort of flippant use of the S word, or sorry, the F word, to just fill space and, and, and not necessarily uh, as 
direct and deliberate as that word can be utilized for. So that's why I say it's competently written. But um, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I am I am enjoying myself. It just doesn't have the uh, strong recommendation factor that season one has. But uh, my wife and I are in the. Did you? Yeah. Go ahead. Did you ever watch The Wire? No, The Wire is probably. It might be my biggest cultural blind spot in terms of. Like, okay, Reed, you didn't have to get hyperbolic just with a single question. No, but what I mean is that, like, <laughs> ha- the volume of people who talk about and reference and know The Wire, I should have I should have yeah, made it to it by yeah. this point. But It's not often for me to feel like I've got a leg up on you pop culturally, but I'm happy to stand astride oh, this one. So um, I watched season two or three of The Leftovers again, so you got to be like, yeah, do you, have you watched The I Wire? I mean, I've seen it, you know? but no, where I was going <laughs> is, in terms of creative deployment of the F word, The Wire has a scene... Maybe in season one, I can't quite recall where it is, where the two leads, you would recognize these actors, their names aren't coming to me, but they're cops, right? And they're assessing a crime scene. And literally the entire scene, the only dialogue in the scene is about a hundred uses of the F word, but with such charisma and creativity (laughs) in how it's used, you're like... (laughs) I'm so impressed right that, now. Really? Wow. I mean, it's, That's awesome. yeah, 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 it's amazing. You can probably YouTube it, you know, since it's probably what you're going to do instead of actually watching <laughs> I'll it. watch the show, um, okay? I'm kidding, I'm I'll kidding, get I'm to kidding. it. <laughs> it's it's actually a hard show to watch. <laughs> okay. It's got a really, it's a really, remember last week I talked about Dark, how they just don't care if you keep up? Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. The Wire is that, but police procedurally. <laughs> you're like, ah, uh, <laughs> I don't understand these civic organizations and structures and social sort of dynamics that you guys are talking about, but you don't care if I do. So oh, I guess I'm, a- oh, F words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they throw That's in the a five minute yeah. scene of just the F yeah. word to catch, yeah. up, to catch everybody up. So And, uh, and, chi- and child Michael B. Jordan. Oh, I did not know he was in that. Really? I did yeah. not. I, I knew he was a lot of folks in there. You'd recognize. I knew he was Idris? in all my chil- all my children. String- his, what? Idris Elba. It, it, yeah, Stringer Bell, man. Okay, it's time. Yeah, you need to watch <laughs> The Wire. Stringer Bell. That's a hell of a character. Okay. Uh, Michael K. Williams. Yes. Omar. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's a great character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, you should probably. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. Okay. You do it. You do that. You check back in with us next week. Okay. I'll do. Mentioned. I'll do that. Five seasons. I'll do five. Okay. That's a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right oh i should get back to uh, oh yeah tony mm. take us home tony uh do we do the whole thing uh it's 30, yeah it's 30 seconds it's, yeah sure that's fine i mean i'm as well. where you gotta be i gotta edit this yeah what i'm just i'm yeah. just nodding yeah this is happening commitment that's beautiful i love that it is. i love, I love it. it it's it's, it's, it's fantastic great. it's wonderful all right so um nathan mm-hmm. <clears throat> and now is the time where we venture back into jardin texas and the content of hbo's the leftovers season two but not quite in Jarden just yet. We're going to be going to parts unknown, to characters we haven't caught up with in a couple of episodes, and then maybe we'll get back to Jarden and 
you know, we'll take a little, take a little detour, if you will. But uh, either way, we'll find ourselves discussing all the various aspects of life post-departure, trying our best to let the mystery be on this week's installment of Hashtag TV Guideposts and Season 2 of The Leftovers. I'm really annoyed that you finished the whole series again. You know what? Hate the player, not the game. Right, I am. (laughs) You got it wrong, and you are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, like, I did. Uh Uh-huh. I did. That's what what I'm doing. (laughs) No, listen. It's It's funny you just said that so grievously incorrectly but uh, i was listening yes. to a podcast today <laughs> yeah i listened to a podcast today and this guy was trying to say that a filmmaker it was a movie podcast and the guy was trying to highly compliment a movie he was talking about mm. and referencing that this particular director filmmaker did more with less <laughs> but he get but he kept saying less is more i wish people would have a more less is more approach i'm like ah, you just did that like three times i don't think you <laughs> Realize you keep using that the, phrase. I do not think it means what yeah, you think it means. I think you mean, I think it means. <laughs> anyway, yes. So, so I do hate the player. Yeah. Well, I've actually never seen the player. Actually, um, once years ago. Um, yeah. So without me, listen. You know that once you start watching this show, I mean, like, I'm I'm not gonna listen. No. I I love my wife, and I love. I, I'm not asking you not to. I, and I love my marriage, and there's no way I'm going to introduce her right. to the show. Sure. And tell her she can't finish the show. So episode three is called (laughs) Off Ramp. (laughs) And speaking of off ramps, I'd like to get on the exit here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Let the mystery buy. (laughs) (laughs) God. Mm, mm, that's 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 like tenuously close to like messing up that song for me <laughs> and i really don't want that to happen like you are not allowed so oh. episode three is off ramp it features Lori and tommy and myself and the rest of the viewers will or listeners will quickly catch up so that we can figure out how to talk to you about this mm. um <laughs> all all sort of you know jokiness aside um which is impossible let's be honest <laughs> This is a really powerful episode. Yeah, it really I is. I think. No, yeah, in a lot uh, of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. I, for, for how high it takes you, and for my God, how low it pulls you yes. by the end of it. Yes. I mean, it's funny because I, I remember most of the imagery from this episode, mm-hmm. even though I had not like watched it for like a third time. Um, I'm sorry. I'll lay off. Um, no, so no, no. I remember Please continue. The, this I, is fun I, for me. I remembered most. Of the, I know. I know you love it. Uh, I remembered most of the imagery from this episode, but I didn't remember the context or the sequence. Sure. And so, I I I bought it in the first run, where I was like, "Oh my god, this is so beautiful." Lori and Tommy are helping people defect from the GR. Like this is so gloriously wonderful. And yeah. praise you, God. Look at this is happening. And then there's like, wait, oh, oh, wait. I think I remember. Oh, oh, God. Oh no, oh, that's like that's no. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Mama, no. <laughs> you're, you're like in that car with that family. You're like, no. <laughs> like please you're in the wrong lane oh my god steer away oh my god jeez louise that's terrible it's awful it's awful oh man um yeah it is what, is, what are some highlights or lowlights for you? so so I'm, I'm gonna heap a lot of praise on this episode so let me start on a low light um okay. 
the so so an observation that uh, my wife and I discussed that uh, r- made me recognize how potentially I won't say desensitized, but um, we absorb a lot of mature content on this show, uh, uh, subject wise, thematically, etc. Um, so I am somewhat inoculated to potentially disturbing and upsetting things. I won't say I'm impervious to them, obviously. Um, but it is, it was this episode that sort of raised the conversation between us about how disturbing some of the elements in the leftovers is and can be. Um, for instance, that scene between Tommy and Meg is, is just terrible. It's awful. I don't mean it's terrible as in like it's poor craftsmanship. It's, it's, Sure. It's awful. I mean, it, the the if you're watching or haven't watched this, Meg from the first season, who is a figurehead, uh, a growing figurehead in the the Mapleton GR, uh, dramatically reenters the series yes. in the third episode and rapes Tommy. I mean, like that's yes, effectively what yes. Happened. And then following that, bad enough. Following that, he is dragged from sure. the truck and doused in gasoline and. A lighter, like, like the whole scene is just so oppressive. Like everything about it is just so oppressive. Um, and so that, that's, that's something that I'm like, okay. Like I forget because of how rich my emotional affection is for this show. I forget that there are moments like that, that a casual viewer or somebody sure. who's not used to that kind of mature content might be really put back on their heels by it. Um, and, uh, and in some, some potentially upsetting ways. And I think to what you described was perfect. This film has some heights of storytelling and also has some really big lows that, that, uh, might, I think this more so than certain other episodes in this season, uh, might like be too much for some viewers. Um, uh, in its in its sort of oppressive uh, nature, so that's kind of a the, the, the little bit of a ding um, on on this particular episode. But again, there's a there's a lot to praise because it's exceptionally well written and it does a lot to. I think there's more done in this episode to unpack the characters of Laurie and Tommy than were done in the entire first season. Sure, um, yeah. in in like you know an hour of time. well, and this is this is a perfect episode of illustrating what the show starts to the heights it starts to grasp when it's not bound by the text of the book yes you know yes being able to you know this season so far episode one is more or less 95 percent just the murphys brand new characters we haven't met right up until then mm-hmm. uh episode two is catching us up with how kevin and crew get to jordan and then the, so point being like there's a lot of real estate covered in these three mm-hmm. episodes yeah, absolutely character wise um that that uh creates new plumb lines for where each character is in a real dramatic fashion and i don't think i um i don't think where this episode how this episode resolves and i don't mean the specific plot point i just mean the that wave we just talked about undoes the value of the beauty that i think is present in that opening mm you know, crescendo, I think what this, I mean, Kevin says it in season one, people aren't ready to feel better. They're ready to effing explode. Yes. Like, right. Yes. Like Lori, what a, I mean, and Amy Brenneman just 
kills it. Oh, she's um, fantastic. And and uh, you know, maybe you can speak to this in a moment if you want, but I, I like the actor who plays Tommy and and ultimately I'm not sure the show I can't remember exactly how far the show takes him, but episodes like this remind me of why I appreciate what he brings um because they're all just these simmering volcanoes. Yes. And yes. and gosh, this episode is so heartbreaking because he's infiltrating GR yes. houses. Mm-hmm. Uh and and the the wear that's having on him. Yes. Um the wear and tear as it as it were that's having on him, but it's for the purpose of bringing them out. And I I want you to to add whatever you want, but I think thematically one of the richest bits of dialogue in the series so far is Lori to Tommy. Why are we losing? Mm -hmm. And Tommy says, because they, the remnant, the GR are giving them something. We can strip it away, but once it's gone, we have nothing to put back in its place. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something Mm -hmm. profound about that. Absolutely. And, and instructive about that. Now, it's arguable maybe they learned the long the wrong lessons from that yeah i agree no i agree you know it's that but even that even quote unquote learning the wrong lessons still leave them in a very interesting place as characters right oh totally wow Mm -hmm. oh my gosh this is a a bit creepy and i was not ready quite for this turn but yes Um, anyway i would say uh, regarding the comment you made about tommy one of one of the things that i feel about the show is i feel that Tommy ultimately in the scheme of the leftovers, I think becomes more of a supporting utility player. Sure. And, and, and that is, re- and you, you know, I mean, you, yeah. Cause you I, I race to, I the don't end. know if you know, but I, I finished it. So I went all the way. Um, but he, uh, he has some interesting and substantive things to bring. And I really like the actor. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's one sort of thing about him. I think this episode might be some of his, Sure. finest moments you know in terms of as a character and as what he's bringing to the table um and uh and yeah so like you mentioned about like the denial that laurie is in and kind of the the conflict and and not really even understanding why they're losing and stuff like that it's moments like where the woman that they did rescue tells her says uh you know well my husband's angry and then she says like you and laurie says i'm not angry and god i love it the woman just sort of resigns herself to not yeah. even bother to fight it. Like just, okay. Well, okay. I think she actually, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I think she actually says, she okay. Says, but yeah. Okay. You know, like, and, and yeah. it's a great moment because she's, she's totally calling Lori out without calling her out. She's just like, okay. Um, so one of the things that um, I'm going to mention this, cause it's kind of a, a, just a trivial insert in the midst of everything else. One of the advantages to my having seen the whole series again is i do not believe i would have written this moment down or paid any degree of attention to it had i not done this and remembered this character from a recent rewatch of the third season the television as tommy's returning briefly mentioned about a man resurrected in australia on the tv yeah yeah i don't think i would have remembered it maybe you would have (laughs) but i wouldn't have remembered old david burton so uh anyway no i mean i don't remember his name well yeah that's jeez they said his name they said his name on oh did they yes okay okay. yeah no they said his name yeah i'm not that much of a jerk (laughs) um but no they said his name close to it (laughs) just eat it a little bit um so, uh, yeah, the other thing that I had mentioned is just the, the, and the music cue chimes in when that woman 
that they rescued from the guilty remnant unfolds the note that says any day now. And, uh, and then that prompts her to just sort of pushes her over the edge to, in a gruesome way, take her own life and the life of her family with her. What, remind me, um, that note she opens was, I can't remember now. Was that a leftover artifact in her handbag or that was a plant by I can't remember exactly if, how that, if my memory serves, it's what, they wrote it's what the when the guilty remnant like came and mm-hmm. and infiltrated them they wrote something and then like uh, uh lori i think crumpled it up threw it and then she oh, collected yeah. it and pocketed okay. it and then mm-hmm. opens it back up and it says any day now um which again speaks to what tommy was observing about the guilty remnant it's like they they have something it's dreadful but they have something and um and so then uh obviously the scene where Laurie is going in to promote her book and to possibly get it published and then just you watch it fall apart minute by minute by minute. Um, although I must say I had, uh, I still feel like it's such an explosive moment where he's like, well, no, we got to add feeling to it. What I don't know, right. Lori, and what I need to know is how do you feel about it? And in response, she freaking tackles him. <laughs> she oh, just it's wild. Barrels into him. It just starts beating the fire out of him. It's a great scene. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's that. Um, Lori. But I think I, what I love about that, I'm sorry to cut you off, no, but, and we don't have to dwell much longer here, but as, as sort of, uh, suit and tie exec as that sort of publisher is in terms of a character archetype. I actually love what he's after. You know? Oh yes. Like yes. And I think if there's an underlying sentiment to this show, it's what are you actually feeling in response yes. to the things that are happening to you? Yes. And everyone denying and suppressing and yeah. stuffing down or shoving down a well read. I know where <laughs> this is going. <laughs> um, I do. Kind of what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and a theme I wrote down that we can uh, that it just do a hit and run here is staying. Okay. Takes so much work. Mm, yeah. And just, right, right. You know, just something to linger with there for later. But anyway, so, I mean, I, I can talk more about this episode. We can move on to the next. Uh, any no, other? I'm, I'm, I'm good to, I'm good to move on to the next one. So the, the next one uh, brings us back into Jarden. So that, so off ramp, if we didn't make it clear, is all Lori and Tommy. So like Nora doesn't show up, Kevin doesn't show up, like it's all catching up with Lori and Tommy. In the next one, Orange Sticker, we come back to Jarden and it it focuses specifically on the moment we had seen in the first episode that there was an earthquake. And then we saw in the second episode that following the earthquake, Kevin woke up in the now dry riverbed because the the ground had opened up and he had a cinder block tied to his leg. No clue how he got there or what happened. And um, so Orange Sticker kind of shows us some of those events, but from Nora's perspective, what Nora was going through while all of those things uh, were taking place. I'm sure you do. You remember the significance of Orange Sticker? Yeah. Okay. Why don't you tell everybody what the significance of Orange Sticker is? Well, Reed, with <laughs> that kind of handoff, um, yeah, in the uh, the town of Jarden, houses with an orange sticker that have emblazoned upon them the word verified and some sort of emblem, I can't recall, um, is just meant to signal uh, that they have uh, verified that no one departed from this home. Right. Um, well, and, and there's another one. I, I it, okay. It's funny. I... <laughs> I was remembering orange sticker differently 
because I remember that in the episode Guest, an orange sticker meant you were a legacy, meant you had mm-hmm. experienced a departure before. And so I think you're right. And, and you know, Lindelof's savvy enough for it to have, to have dual meanings. But the first place my mind went was like, oh, Nora is going through this again because she's a legacy. Sure. And so she's, right. you know, she's experiencing all these things, again, which is the first 10 minutes of the of the episode is her waking right. up. Kevin's not Kevin's beside gone. her. Yeah. She's com- and then she steps outside. She flips out. Oh my gosh. Yes. Carrie Coon, man, I know there's more to come. Uh, you can probably verify that <laughs> with an orange with an orange sticker, but <laughs> but her performance in this show is so just devastating. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. she is overcome with dread at what waking up to Kevin's absence means or could mean and and leans in to that emotion yes for what five minutes of screen time and then when he shows up just shuts it off yes just utterly turns it off yeah it you're exactly right like a switch like she hugs him when the hug when the hug is passed she's out she she yep. leaves um and yeah so she's clearly I had referenced in last week's episode how Nora is very clearly like on the edge. She's she's built up this sort of house of cards of I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe, I'm safe, and and um and it's all falling apart. She moved here as a matter of geography so that she would be safe and so that no departures would happen. And and like her second, first or second night here, then all mm-hmm. of this is is uh, is coming unraveled. And um and so that yeah, it's it it's pretty powerful in in that aspect. Um, the only other notes that I have on this episode narratively, uh, revolve around, uh, Patty's continued and increased presence. Uh, so, Riri. so I want to yield. Yeah. What do you, what, what a, what a wondrous gift is Andel. <laughs> this, this episode is the first one where she really starts owning the scenes again. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, 95% of her screen time in season one, she was silent and then she's not all of a sudden, but this is where you get just full on lived in, uh, specter Patty. Yes. Running off at the mouth and I'm loving every second of it. <laughs> like, so I want to sure. Yeah, go ahead. No, well, I have a question for you. So, so say mm-hmm. what you're saying, and then I'll uh, and then I'll ask you about Patty. Well, mainly I was just scanning for for standout stuff. But what were you going to ask? So, per se? I don't think this is theme. If you feel like this is theme, we can hold it maybe for for uh, our full season two discussion. So, I'm kind of trying to interrogate both the substance of Patty's presence here and her motivations here because it feels a bit. Uh, uh, schizophrenic is too strong a word but it feels sort of dichotomized because she helps him find his phone she knows exactly where it is um but she she clearly either lies to him about other things or doesn't know other things because and i want to be very careful for listeners who are watching this as we watch it because uh, i will just i will just say that there are things she tells him with the same level of veracity about his phone that are simply not true and and then at the same time, she occasionally seems to be legitimately trying to sort of preserve him, uh, but then 
also well, at other times is trying to antagonize him. And so I feel yeah. like you just tried to lay a trap for me. I'm not laying a trap. No, I, I know. I know. But what you're saying, she's that she articulates that is untrue. I think, I think we're talking semantics. I think that hmm. Hmm. one, you have to recall that now you don't have to recall this. You, and this isn't me poking the bear here. You've seen the whole thing. I don't remember if the show definitively declares this is a expression an expression of a fractured psyche on Kevin's part, or I, I don't, I think it's more that than it is a, an actual spectral presence. I, I'm going to lean more in the fractured psyche part. Okay. But what that means then is it's also laden with Kevin's own subconscious sort of, intuitions and feelings she can tell him where the phone is because subconsciously he kind of knows see i thought less yeah see i thought that. and what i think you're alluding to is the line they vanished spoiler alert i'm not going to spoil it but yes i think from a certain point of view kevin has told jill last episode nowhere safe this is no safer than anywhere else right Mm -hmm. it would it would make sense to me that on a certain level because Kevin is so uh, uh, self-hating and cynical and believes the worst about the world that he would totally buy into the to a a notion of a second departure of some sort. Does that make sense? Like it, it makes it makes complete sense. And are there other examples where you're like, I think no, no. But okay, I'm going to try very carefully not to spoil this for our listeners. If what you're saying is is true about the fractured psyche, and so I thought the same exact thing, where I thought, well, if she's an extension of Kevin, well, he remembers where his phone is. And if she's an extension of Kevin, he remembers what happens. Something is shown later in the season that would undermine the premise you just expressed. So, So Kevin knows more than he knows he knows. So, so, you know, uh, you know, yes. And so that's, uh, that's as much as I can say it. Kevin knows more about everything than he realizes he knows. Because remember, one thing that is, that is present to our, to viewers who are only up to episode four is Kevin sleepwalks. And, and so if we view Patty as an extension of a fractured psyche, but knowing like maybe she's privy to the information that sleepwalking Kevin has, Mm -hmm. sleepwalking Kevin knows more than she tells him. And so that's the piece yeah, that I'm like, know. yeah. And so that's why it's, it, it's a bit of a struggle for me. And I'm just going to have to let the mystery be. I'm not being facetious because I think that there's there. I do feel like the show makes a better case that Patty is an extension of a fractured psyche than it is that she is an actual sort of sure. spectral attachment with agency. Right. right, right. Exactly. Um, I, th- I think the show makes a better case that she's just a, 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 you know, the way pulling back to Haunting of Hill House, she is like live to Hugh, you know, like it, it's it's how Kevin sees Patty being. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, but that's the part that I couldn't quite grasp, because regardless of her, the, the, the substantiation of her presence or not, she is uh, representative of the inner turmoil that Kevin has. Whether she's there well, as an I actual mean, ghost, one of my not. favorite exchanges, and and maybe thus far one of my favorite Justin Thoreau moments 
is his heartbreaking delivery of the line, I don't want to kill myself to Patty. Mm, yes. That yes. she then rebuts with, well, you're certainly entitled to your opinion. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad we finally talked about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my yes. God. Yes. I don't want to kill myself. Well, you're entitled to your opinion. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. What a brilliant bit of scripting that is. Yes. No, it really, it really, really is. Um, although uh, her uh, Rick Astley impression is negligible. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little... A little odd. No weirder there, than the freaking morose dirge of you're the one that I want from Greece. Like, like. <laughs> well, yeah, but that's that was a, a piece of soundtracking, right? It is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I found that kind of fascinating choice. The Rick Astley one was more like is is the joke that she's Rick rolling, Kevin. I mean, sincerely, I, I, I couldn't could figure be. out that was what was happening there. No, it could be. Uh, which could feels be. like a super, super like <laughs> cultural moment imported into the world of the leftovers, like a really odd oh, sort okay. of thing there. Yeah. Um, uh, Isaac gives us some, some interesting character bit on John. He says, ain't yes. nothing more dangerous than a man who don't believe in nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, Nora in her efforts to, I'm just throwing out a few notes here. Nora in her efforts to shore up her own feelings, um, says to Jill of whether Evie departed or not. The flood happened three years ago, and the mm. ark took on all the animals it needed. Why, in God's name, would it take on any more? Yes. Which I actually really loved as a sort of analogy in how she rationalizes what she's experiencing. Yeah, here. absolutely. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I thought there was one more here. Talk about Neil's weird proclivities. <laughs> <laughs> she was pooping on him, it's Kevin. so disgusting. <laughs> married for... 16 years or whatever she does. Ran for 16 years. Never asked me to poop on him. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and out, and out, she's so good. It's like, I believe you. I believe you. You know? Oh my gosh. Um, as a last Lord, little narrative beat when Kevin is standing, you know, we know that Kevin knows he's been out there and is trying to play off his presence yes. and, and look like he's joining the search party for Evie and the gang. And that moment when the cop says to John, they think they pulled a palm print off the window. Like your heart just yeah. sinks. Oh like, yeah. Oh, this is not going to go well. Yeah. No, absolutely. absolutely. You've got two equally damaged and angry men <laughs> headed straight for an inevitable collision. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's all I got, man. All right. Um, so I guess there's nothing more to say than uh <clears throat> it turns out that Reed has finished the entire series while Nathan and listeners are uh moving at the agreed upon pace of two episodes at a time of a single episode of the Fear of God podcast. But these are the things we do for marriage. And uh next week we'll check in with episodes five and six, which I don't have notes on or titles for because I've not watched them yet. But this has been a look at episodes three and four of season two of The Leftovers. But I can tell you more about the episodes (laughs) five and six. (laughs) Episodes five and six are titled. Five five is a really good one. So make sure you stay stay tuned for that. I hate you. (laughs) Right when you said that, I was like, damn it. (laughs) I don't know if he's just being funny or not now. Now I want to go watch it, but now I'm just pissed that he did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my One God. time, slight 
not really, but slight, maybe spoiler alert for the end of Lord of the Rings. My brother, when those films were coming out, he had finished the books before I did. Oh, okay. I didn't finish the book series before Return of the King, watching Return of the King. Oh, okay. So I had the great joy of watching Return of the King with no knowledge. Oh, I see. Yeah, you're right, right. Well, this is what this just felt like when you're like, episode five is a good one. Well, going into Return of the King, my brother, uh, you know, is a bit of an older brother as they are, trolled me a bit. And he was like, Hey, a hobbit dies. And I was like, Dude, what, what are you doing? I don't want to, what are you talking? I don't want to know. Don't tell me anything, you know? And he was trying to be all coy about, again, spoiler alert here about Gollum. Yeah, of and, course, of course, but sideways doing it. And I'm like, yeah, you, sure. So yeah, that's how that felt when you were like, Oh, episode five is a good one. Mm. Okay. Riri, we dead again. <laughs> we dead again. We dead again. Again. We dead, dead it again. <laughs> I, I wish they do a sequel. This and be like dead again, again. <laughs> Deader again. Um. So what's more dead? <laughs> still, still dead. <laughs> we done, we done dead again. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Friday series, but completely <laughs> next Friday. Friday. After next, this is still still dead, cremated. Oh, it's more it's more British, classically trained British people acting like a bunch of Americans. They did again. <laughs> they did again. <laughs> oh, oh Lord, that's funny. Should we go to the fog meter? Let's do it. <laughs> so, um, was this your first time seeing it, or had you seen it before? This was. My first time seeing it. Okay. I had never seen Dead Again. Yeah. What'd you think? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Did you? Oh, did you? Was... So I had a, slight, yeah. I had a pang of nervousness because I didn't remember. We didn't talk about this one at all. Like nope. this, what listeners may or may not know is that this was a, a, there was a bit of when we sequenced out the films that would comprise this phase of in the morning, uh, a previous film uh, was in this slot and we discussed it and I was like, I really think, I really think we should pivot over to dead again. But in that conversation, I had no context for whether you had seen it or not or, or exactly what it was. I think you were just sort of saying like, yeah, then, then whatever you feel like and you deferred to me. And so, well, Riri, yeah. you know, now the movie's dated in its production. So, so yes. you know, it, it's, it's a mildly qualified love, but not much. Um, but Riri, you, you know me for 20 years. You know, I, know. I am a hopeless romantic. Oh, and I'm yeah, like, that's true. oh, my God, I love these people. I love Kenneth Branagh. He's great. Uh, Sir Kenneth, Dame Emma Thompson. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. and look at there. There's Derek Jacoby. That's right. Derek Jacobin. <laughs> uh, you know, like you this you probably know this or have been told this uh, in the recesses of our 20 years. One of the first. One of the first films. I fell in love with. Now, I haven't watched it in years. I don't know if I would still feel as strongly, but fell in love with as a film was as a junior in high school watching Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Oh, and so, yes. yeah. Yeah. So I, I am predisposed to just enjoy his work. And uh, you may recall Derek Jacoby plays, um, mm-hmm. uh, geez, Louise. It's Claudius. Uh, Claudius. Right? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, plays Claudius, the deceitful uncle, the murderous deceitful uncle of, of that story. And, um, yeah. So point being like, 
you throw a circa early nineties era mm, I brown on tail. Now, if I have any, uh, uh, sadness about this film, it's, they aren't in full Brit mode. <laughs> no, um, that is true. You know, but very American. No, I, I found it very enchanting. Um, again, the, the, the first, that first scene, uh, of the first flashback is a little jarring. Cause you're just like, I don't, what am I'm I in totally for? Positive right. what I'm watching yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, I, and in fact, what I wrote is like, I can't, I don't, I can't think of, uh, other romantic thrillers like this. And mm-hmm. honestly, mm-hmm. the only other one that came to mind without too much work was something like the village, which mm-hmm. that's okay. a little more subplot, but right. has at right. its, but even then has as one of its main pillars a very romance driven mm-hmm. story. So yeah, come on, Ruby. <laughs> like oh, well, and, and yeah. So I uh I love this film as well. And this has been a film this was one of those for me that in my days of working at the video store, kind of fresh out of high school, um mm-hmm. I it was just one of those that was on the shelf and I took it home because it was a relatively small video store, you know, maybe no more than, uh, you know, uh, several hundred videos available for rent. But this was one of them. And there were times where I would just sort of make my way down the shelf and be like, oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. And so I, I brought Dead Again home. What a life. Right. Man. Oh, my God. Can yes. I, what would that be like right now? Read. I know. Holy cow. I know. Speaking of romance. I know. That right. Is exactly. Hot. No, like- <laughs> awesome oh my god awesome. <laughs> Can you, like the amount of you know how last week i was talking about leftovers and let the mystery be mm-hmm. being like this exultant like yeah. what you just said had that similar feeling like poof, <laughs> i just felt i just felt unanchored from my seat i'm like daggum <laughs> that sounds amazing that is a heavenly yes thought yes i'm like ah, oh this one i'm gonna take it home and watch it oh that one haven't seen it taking it home exactly and it. exactly you know, and there were i do love my kids y'all <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, let me just say, <laughs> in case it's unclear, I, do, I, I love, I love, but boy, oh man. Um, <laughs> so like for me, it was like, and there's still, there's a good two dozen films that when I watch them, I am transported back to, you know, bringing them home because can you imagine like going into this film and maybe you did going into this film, like no context, N- no idea of what I'm going to get. Uh, and maybe that, maybe, like I said, maybe that is the experience you had of the film. But I went in and I was just like, yeah, I don't know anything about this. I mean, it just looks like a sort of a thriller. And then getting this layered sort of love story and, and, and this mystery underneath it. And, uh, th- there's, there's like this dual mystery happening in the past and in the present and, and, and just a, a really effective little thriller. It's got some and I mean, vibes. One and- of those twists is like very, progressive i'm like oh wait a absolutely oh absolutely. yeah i was yeah. like mm-hmm. oh wow <laughs> yeah all right okay you i'm not that. roman um right well yeah you'll, you you just said this and before we get away from it right here in my notes where'd it go <laughs> general affair has a pretty hitchcockian vibe to it mm-hmm. yep yeah. exactly exactly it's I was a- learning <laughs> you learning you learning um so i got a few so, trivial bits well, Oh, go ahead. No, okay. No, 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 no. no, no. It, you. Share your bits. You. Because yeah. I grabbed a few bits. <laughs> when you were unanchored. <laughs> this movie. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Look out. Hell. Um, okay, so I, I'll, I'll mention two, and then you mention what you've got, and maybe we'll cross over. So um, first one on my list is the film was originally shot entirely in color and mm-hmm. intended to be screened Delete. that way. And it tended to be screened that way. Wasn't until editing that the decision was made to present the past sequences, the flashbacks in black and white, to make those distinctions clearer for the audience. But this heavily disappointed the costume and set designers because they made aesthetic choices for a color palette. And had they known it was going to be shown in black and white, they would have just made different choices. So um, I, I found that uh, pretty interesting and and sympathetically disappointing for the costume and set designers, who I'm sure worked very hard for a color palette that they never got to <laughs> never got to enjoy. Um, so yeah, what's what's your next one? Um, I loved that Robin Williams one that he shows up, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, right, 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 right. Yes, Alibaba had them forty thieves. Um. <laughs> Uh, but he explicitly didn't want his name to appear in the credits. Yes. So as not to mislead audiences. People think it, yeah, people think it's a comedy or something. Well, and what's interesting is, and I couldn't, fi- I couldn't find out. I, I could not find out how or why he came into, because, because Robin Williams was a star at this point. So right. him taking a literal three scene, seven minutes of screen time, you know, role hey, like hey. this. When Sir Kenneth Branagh knocks on your door. Well, that's the thing is they were friends. Like is, is they, they were friends and mutual Shakespeare enthusiasts. And so it's like, <laughs> Robin's like, you ain't never had a friend like me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh my God. So, uh, but yeah, it's like, that's, that's the only thing that I could find for his presence yeah. in this film is just being, I, I think I, I didn't have this substantiated, but it's the only thing that makes sense. Like they were friends and I think Kenneth just, Asked his buddy, "Do you want to be in this? <laughs> do you want to be in this movie?" And and because if you'll remember, you love this uh, Hamlet. Uh, Robin Williams plays yes. Osric in yes. this. You know, like they were. You know, they. I had not remembered that. That's these are yeah. similar eras. Yeah, I mean, this is what ninety four something like uh, that? earlier. Yeah, I, for, I forget. No, I think this is ninety one. I think that again <laughs> is ninety. Yeah, so Dead Again is 91. Dead Again. And I think, <laughs> guess who's dead? Well, Hamlet's 90s. <laughs> dead Again. <laughs> Everyone. Wow. Wow. Well, no. we're <laughs> off the rails. Um, anchor me back to the seat. Let's get maudlin. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Hamlet is like 97, 96, yeah, 97. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that was the only thing I could uncover about Robin Williams' presence in the film is that he and uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh were personal friends. Um, did you see that um, Donald Sutherland was the initial choice for the Madsen? I don't remember the I first, love me first some name. Derek Jacoby, but I think, and I love me some Donald Sutherland. I love Donald Sutherland as an actor. If Donald Sutherland had been the hypnotist, I would have seen the ultimate reveal of this film coming a mile away. <laughs> because, like, when you mm. cast Donald Sutherland in a role like that, I'm like, because Derek Jacoby, when I saw it, I didn't know him. I didn't have context for it or anything. So it's like, he's just the amiable little hypnotist guy who's kind of quirky and, and a bit of a miser. I didn't see that twist coming. No, see, there you go. Um, but yeah, I think. In it, fact, you know what's really funny? They got me, Riri. They got did they? Me. Oh, Because <laughs> the scene when. So, Branagh encounters uh, Dame Emma Thompson. Yes, and and you know, kind of gets gets they get attached because he can't foist her off where he tries to initially. So she's back at his place, 
Jacoby just shows up. He just wanders in yes, like he owns yes, the place. Yes. And I even was like, wow, bro. You know, like you just who? What? <laughs> never, never occurred to me nope. that, that there was a twist coming with that character. That's so when it does, awesome. like, oh, OK. Yeah. And see, that's, I think, a really. So, again, we warned you last week. We're going to warn you again this week. The series we're in is about films that have big reveals or, you know, uh, subtle distinctions that sort of turn everything on its head. Um, So because you are I think this is what's brilliant about the way the story is constructed. You are expecting a big surprise reveal related to the flashbacks. And, And I think I don't know if this was your experience, but the first time I watched it, I was like, I'm prepared for there to be a big surprise reveal regarding the flashbacks. So when. It is ultimately revealed uh, because part of the conceit of the film is Damien Thompson has is playing a woman named Grace. She has lost her memory, and this hypnotist is making is uh, using hypnotherapy to. Uh, he's he's an antique dealer. Yes. <laughs> He's an antiques dealer. That's the reason I keep sort of repivoting. Is is like his profession is not as a hypnotist. He happens to be uh, a person. It. It's like yes, yes, like like a side hustle on it. And um, so he regresses her, and she's viewing things from her past life. And in the past life, there was this grand romance between Margaret and Roman Strauss. But Margaret was murdered, and Roman was blamed for it, and Roman was executed for it. And so I think you're you're kind of prepared that there's going to be some reveal relative to the Roman and Margaret Strauss. So when it's revealed that actually, in point of fact, the um, uh, character of Mike Church, played by Sir Kenneth Branagh, that he, in a past life, was actually Margaret and not Roman, uh, that, I think, is the twist you're prepared for. So then they tack on this whole thing about, uh, you know, the the antiques hypnotist dealer having this this ultimate connection to both stories. And it's it's a wonderful disarmament because I don't again, I don't know if this was your experience, but me watching it, I was like, oh, that's my big twist. Oh, that's great. That's that's crazy. So I just <laughs> never saw it coming uh, that he was going to have such a crucial and vital role to the ultimate unraveling of everything. And that'll. Uh, spoiler alert, that might come up in, in my thematic conversation. We'll see. Um, hmm. So a couple more trivial bits before we move on. Uh, I, uh, uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh and Dame Emma Thompson were married when the film was made, but unfortunately would divorce about four years later. So that's kind of makes me sad. It's kind of sad. But um, so Campbell Scott is in this film. Campbell Scott. Don't talk about his role yet, but what are you going to say? No, no, no. I mean, well, don't talk about the actions. Okay, right. I won't yet. No. Okay. Campbell Scott appeared in exactly two films in 1991. Dying Young and Dead Again. <laughs> Those are the two films that he was in. Uh, Campbell Scott is a, a, a really great character actor. He's literally only in like one scene of this film. Uh, did you know that but he's. What a scene. Uh, what a scene indeed. Did you know that he's the son of George C. Scott? Did you know that? Nope. It, that, that delights me because I love George C. Scott. And all all things associated with him, but he's the son of George C. Scott and Colleen Dewhurst. That's his mom and dad. Wow! <laughs> yes. What? Yes. Yes. He is the son of George C. Scott and Colleen. First of all, I think I just blew your mind because I don't think you knew you that George C. Scott and Colleen Dewhurst were a thing. Well, <laughs> no, she, I thought she just lived as an old maid in Prince Edward Island. <laughs> wow. 
She's not even an old maid on Prince Edward Island. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so, uh, yeah I know she is. I'm just saying. Oh, um, but I just started that with the kids. That's why it's very fresh in my mind. <laughs> you know, like, don't, don't mess up Anna Green Gables. Okay, I know that. No. You watched all of Leftovers. I watched all of Anna Green Gables. Okay. <laughs> so, um, Marilla Dunn did what with who? <laughs> oh no! So she wait, Camel Scott is Colleen Dewhurst's son? Yes. That, yes. Oh, this movie just keeps getting better. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Uh, that's the end of my trivial bits. That's just, oh. that's, just that's a good one, though. That's the one to go out on. Mm-hmm. Yep, I love that one. <laughs> so uh, tell me what you love about this movie. I'll tell you what I love. What I really, really love. I love it. I, mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really love Sir Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to be dead again. <laughs> Stop. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, like, I don't know. I've, I've, I've conveyed much of my, Riri, what the <laughs> hell is up with Campbell Scott's one scene? My man just like, just roundhouse kicks <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. And then leapfrogs over a bridge. So, what? There's so much going on. How do on they in this cast scene? that? There's so much going on in this scene. First of you all, know what we need. <laughs> yeah, do right? they cast him first, and then he offers some ideas? He's like, y'all know I, I, I can you roundhouse know, kick him. You know, that <laughs> seems like. It seems like the what if you do uh, uh, this X, Y, and Z sort of movie? Like, no, no, no. I only do roundhouse kicks. <laughs> this is it. No, I'm, right. I'm auditioning for you know Chuck right. Norris's stunt double. Um, yeah. So what's funny about th- there's so much. Colleen Dewhurst taught him that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen her roundhouse kick? Because no. let me tell you. <laughs> so right when Matthew gets out of line, <laughs> um, so there's so much going on in that scene though. Because like, first of all, he shows up and and he's you, apparently knows enough to be convincing about like the fiance thing and the wedding band convinced. and yeah, yeah. And then it's like, but but the man brought the wrong glove, and so that sort of unravels his whole facade. He brought the wrong glove, but then, yes, he runs away. He somehow knows karate. He leapfrogs over there, and this was my favorite part. In a film that I love, dude, five stars for me, I love this film. They never come back to that. They never no. pay that oh, off. Oh, no. No, <laughs> it is just, no, that's it. It is just anomalous. The only point it is is to progress the hypnosis into a deeper state. That's the, that's the whole purpose of that entire scene, other than just well, like a moment for a run I mean, stick and everything. I, maybe I'm overstating the point here but i i think it's a red herring it's just meant to be yeah yeah yeah, it's meant to take you off whatever scent you might be developing towards um you know derek jacoby yes Uh, that's good because i mean because they do establish that uh uh, mike church brenaw has has basically placed an ad yeah yeah and it's like you know this girl <laughs> and so people people like showing up like i know her the ad the ad talks to you <laughs> <laughs> you know this girl <laughs> um so uh so yeah that's a really and the point the the weirdness of the scene isn't that he shows up and never does again it's that he shows up and a foot race happens between him and sir kenneth branagh that resolves with campbell scott just like Friggin', you know, just just blood sport. Jean Jean Claude Van Damming him <laughs> down to the pavement, he and then just sports. like, 
you just made the, one of the most perfect verbs. Or we're going to use that again. It's so, you blood sport it. Is. That's why the, this is the, we're coming out of that era. So that's yes. the residue yes. of the blood sport era. And then he just like <laughs> leaps over a bridge like he's the winter soldier or something. You're just a dude in a members only jacket. Like that's, there's nothing special and, about and, this guy at all. And, that's the sequel. Who is that guy? When he gets across the fence, he <laughs> has enough time to turn around, look up again at the brain, and like, I could die. <laughs> Come at me, bro. Come at he me. He raises his arms like, what? What? Say something. I'll <laughs> be <back>. <laughs> <You> <laughs> <do> that again. <laughs> the sequel is kicked again. <laughs> Oh, anyway, yeah, so it's just super random for yes, the yes. progeny of Campbell and uh, of Colleen and George C. That's, um, that's true. That's true. <clears throat> I don't know if this is later on. Oh, yeah. I wrote a note later on that says the fight choreography, and this is surprising. Because then, in addition to the wild, like, you know, like, 1990s era Nintendo Kung Fu that Campbell <laughs> Scott does, there's a flashback where Roman... I meant to say punches, but autocorrect said lunches. You can tell I I am struggling these days with with stress eating, and my phone knows it. Um, flashback: Roman punches Andy Garcia, and he does a complete spin around, like he's literally on a lazy Susan, right? Like his body, his body just does a complete revolution before falling in the pool. Like what? with this little, with this little like passive face, I'm like, oh. yeah, yeah. It's like you expect little Looney Tunes birds over his head. Um, yeah, it's just some. I, I love the flick, but there's some definitely odd choices here. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, okay. Um. Man, that's funny. Uh, so speaking of little Looney Tunes birds flying around, like, dude, I love love. Love's a bit of a strong word, but I genuinely enjoy Wayne Knight in virtually anything he's in. I have, I have never noticed before that pervasive whistle when he speaks. I have never. There's a weird vocal affectation. Yes. And one that I don't think. Yeah. For as enchanting as this movie is. There are things that just should have not made it into production, <laughs> into the production. Like, where was this? Is this a choice? Was he struggling yeah. with an, with the the like some new dental no, work or that's something? A like, yes. That's a choice. That's a choice. Because Wayne, I've never like he's he's prominent in Seinfeld. He's prominent in in several other films. His house toy barn. And I've never a, yes, I have never heard that vocal affectation before. I have no idea why it's there. He's just testing some stuff out. Sure. <laughs> he's, he's like, yeah, try this. What if you roundhouse kicked me? <laughs> Again, what would that did look? they hire because of, or did they hire and then, you know, that's, that's the question of they're, the day. They're in the audition. He's like, so what are your kicking skills? Yeah. Oh, so man. Mr. Knight, um, can you have that's, a weird verbal affectation? Oh, my God. In the um, midst of, in the midst of random things, when Mike is walking away after he's been hypnotized and realizes that in a past life he was Margaret Strauss. When he's walking across the street and Wayne Knight is like whistling, trying to talk to him, you know, like get, <laughs> getting getting him across it's the like street. like one of the vultures in the Robin Hood <laughs> Disney movie. <laughs> Golly, Jiminy. <laughs> My man said the vultures in the Robin Hood. Nine o'clock and all's well. Crime and nitly trigger. <laughs> Put that pea shooter down. <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> oh, Lord. So okay, what? when he's trying to cross the street, one of the cars in a movie that is that is rated R and is not afraid of, of using strong language. This is rated R? I, I'm, I'm almost positive it is because I think there's multiple uh, F words. Uh, yeah, it's rated R. Um, oh. So, but in a movie that is not a, does not shy away from foul language, somebody in his anger at Mike Church make, forcing him to slam on brakes yells, what a butthead. <laughs> That's what they yell no. out. the. And I thought I heard it. So I went back. I rewound it like like 10 I seconds. Love that you actually rewound. I did because I was sure like, is that what he said? And then I rewound it and put the subtitles on. That's what he says. That's what he says. He says, what a butthead. I mean, like, again, well, think about the era. When was this written? It was the Simpsons were big and Bart had a propensity for, you okay. know, butthead style comments. Beavis and butthead was big. Like, sure. Uh, okay. You know. Okay. All right. It, um, they didn't <laughs> seem to think it was progressive that, you know, Mike was a woman in a past life and is now a man. Right. Sort of the right, implication right. of that. But they're like, hey, butthead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like Biff from Back to the Future. <laughs> I do. My, um, yeah, speaking of accents, what is up with Wayne Knight's vocal affectation? That's yeah, just no, weird. Absolutely. Um, I will say one of my last non, I don't really have any theme notes, so I'll let you run with that. But oh, okay, last no non-scare notes is, you know, I love that we did kind of get a low key sequel to this film because in the past you've got Mike church and grace as August and Roman Strauss. No, Margaret. What's her name? Margaret, Margaret and Roman Roman Strauss in their, in their present day. Um, they are Mike church and grace. We're just going to naturally assume that some sort of terminal fate befell them at some point after the events of this film and they were then once more resurrected to find each other, maybe as, um, Gilderoy Lockhart and Sybil Trelawney. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And I don't know. I just like, that's, that's kind of headcanon for me. Right. And you know, there is a world where I could see like once Gilderoy Lockhart got all of his selfishness obliviated out of him, uh, then I could see him and, uh, professor Trelawney like having a thing. And just like yeah. kind of being being together, it's it it it's weird, but Makes it works. Me happy. Yeah, absolutely. Makes me happy. Um, my my last note before we move into, uh, I just have a couple of scares listed, but uh, my last note there is that the um, Robin Williams, I love him in this movie. Like, I just love his presence because I just love Robin Williams. He's a terrible doctor. Like, he's he's awful. He he's right about the whole like karma thing and past lives and stuff like that. But then he's just straight up like, yeah. You got to kill her before she kills you. I'm like, that is no wonder I mean, you got disbarred. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, going to say, like, he or, works like, like, like every scene he's in, there's just like mountains of cadaverous <laughs> livestock around him. It's like, what an odd, speaking of odd things, you know, yes, that's like, true. That's true. Now, <laughs> did he bring that to the table or did they put that on him? You know, it's like, what if, we, what if we did the scene in here? <laughs> <laughs> oh like, I could see that as a Robin Williams offering. It's like, you know what? What if he just works as a meat packer? Just do it in the meat locker. Um, yeah. What you got for scares? Um, I did note that uh, Dame Emma, she is lovely in this film. Oh, she, she is. is. Yes. Um, Strike her first night terror when staying at his place is pretty wicked. Yeah. No, it really is. Um, well, and the scene the shriek. Yeah, that shriek, and then uh, when she is. Uh, when she's frustrated and she's frightened by him because of the implications of everything. And then 
when he's having his little, that's, that's, that's really rough when he's like shoving all the scissors into her hands, not like stabbing yeah. her with them, but just like placing right, right, right. scissors into her hands. And then the whole thing with the gun and everything. It's a, it, it that's a, I would never hurt you, Margaret. Uh, oh yeah. 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 Chilling, really chilling. So that was, that was a pretty intense scene. I have, I have one other scare listed. Tell me. Gray Baker smoking, maybe one of the most hole. disgusting Say the word, things. neck hole. Ne- Why do I need to say that word? Because that's... I guess it's like two words. I guess it's just gross. It's a compound word. It's just one of the most disgusting things. Hey, like, man. And... How are you going to smoke now? And he's like, my neck hole. I do love... It's a subtle little callback to whole like, hey, you're either a smoker or a non-smoker. Find out what you right. are and be that. And then I do, I do love... It's just a nice little payoff in a film that at least has... Something that one thing that they never pay off. Um, it's a nice little payoff that, uh, and he's like, nope, no thanks, keep them. I just quit. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I was like, that's great. That's really, that's really cool. Your, your father in law will appreciate that Gray Baker smoking out of his neck hole, uh, reminded me pretty directly of the cigarette smoking man as he appeared in the end of X Files season seven, which was the first go round of that show's ending oh, okay. he did return later in full health remarkably uh because didn't as know you, you could do, recover from that uh, well th- <laughs> it's even worse the end of season seven of x-files not only has he been carting around this neck hole smoking <laughs> apparatus for the bulk of that season or however long he appears in it, it's been years but the end of the first run of x-files ends with a cigarette smoking man in this cave compound like in the you know the out in the mountains somewhere and he gets yeah. like nuked so like a <laughs> not nuked but like a missile <laughs> it's so dumb it's so <laughs> dumb so like there's you could it's for for real in the last maybe in the finale of the f- first run of x-files uh he's there's this image of him in this cavern at the end of this cavern and then the flames engulf him but then you know 10 years later he's ah, he's good I don't even remember how they explained it away other than they just kind of yada yada it. Ah, he's fine. His clones or something aliens. Look over there. Know. Never mind. He's dead again. <laughs> Guess who's dead? <laughs> um, so yes. Uh, I didn't, ha- I didn't have anything else. So you, to you, I uh, mean, not- Frankie's rough. Yes. Monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and that is the, okay. So I don't think we've explicitly said it. And for people who choose to uh, listen to our episode before they watch the films, uh, we love you. Stick around. Um, but the, uh, yeah. So the, the final ultimate reveal relative to Franklin That's Madsen. That's a little redundant, Reed. Final, be honest with you. final and ultimate. Be a friend here. Okay. Well, it's not the penultimate. It's the, it's the ultimate reveal. Right. So I mean, the I, final ultimate. We've That's spent more talking time talking about this word than it took me to say this word. Um, no, but, uh, the reveal, uh, no, of, no of, you can pick one of them. Just don't, you just both chose of both of them. Yeah. My point, <laughs> <laughs> my point is that, uh, when it's revealed that he was the son of the housekeeper to, uh, Roman and Margaret Strauss, um, and that he actually is the one who killed Margaret Strauss. Um, I remember, like, that's just a, such a galvanizing reveal. Like, it's, it's, it starts by Gray Baker sort of revealing that the housekeeper is still alive and that she and her son run an antique shop. Mike Church sort of, you know, uh, ignites, uh, in revelation with all of that. Um, and so, one of the things that I was reflecting on in terms of uh, a thematic idea to this is is I do love 
the subversion. And I don't I don't think this is going to pivot us into into some you know big drastic conversation, but I do find it interesting. I don't know. We're pretty good sometimes. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, so the 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 film. Robin Williams's role in the film is to set up the central conflict and he establishes that in the karmic, you know, scheme of things, a wronged individual in the past may seek vengeance on their surrogate in the present. Those aren't his exact words, but that's the basic premise that he that he reveals. So because of that and because of that concept, the tensions between Grace and Mike continue to escalate we mentioned that scene where she's afraid of him so he gets offended by that and gets upset and begins placing these scissors in her hand and uh you know it's a very upsetting uh scene in that regard but what i do love about it and what i find interesting is that the ultimate conceit of the film is that both of them have been wronged by somebody who is acting as a kind of puppet master to this whole thing. So Frankie as at this, you know, posing as a benevolent antiques dealer with, uh, you know, the capacity to use hypnotherapy to, to uh, a, a presumed advantage is really the ultimate perpetrator of the thing that wronged them both and robbed them both of the romance that they had uh, when they were alive. And so, one of the things that I found it really interesting is to look at a, a story like this and to think about the ways in which we can be set up, I think, to identify – I want to be very careful how I say this because it could be a little charged. I think we can be set up to identify the incorrect perpetrator or villain or um, – uh, we we may point to or be afraid of a particular cause of the problem or a particular threat to us when really there is a tangential escalation that really needs to be addressed. And, and, and what I mean by that, so that I can get out of the vague and into the more uh, real, try to follow me with a, a train of, of this thought. I think about some of the things that are tensions in our society and in in our social engagements with with sometimes even with our family engagements, um, the things the subjects that are fraught with tension. They say you never debate politics and religion with anybody because it just is always going to end poorly. Uh, but I feel like a lot of times there can be this way that we will point to each other as. The perpetrators and 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 the real threat and the real problem when really we need to maybe not look to the side, but we really need to get to more of the root of the problem that there is a, a connective tissue that that uh, benefits from our turning on each other. And there's there's I think about things like the way and we've had this discussion in past times before, but I think about the way that media um so I, so I will say certain brands of media um basically i was i was expressing to someone about how how dreadful it is that sometimes the media will stoke the fires of something because they need the clicks like it is and 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 i'm not talking about 
pristine, high caliber journalism. I'm talking about like the, the, the clickbait media, um, sure. that it can thrive sometimes on the conflict and the conflict continuing and it can thrive on, uh, ways in which, uh, it, it, it benefits by conflict being there. And I think that's really the subject that I'm kind of trying to, to, to grapple with is in this particular story, there is a recurring conflict. Um, Roman and Margaret Strauss loved each other. There was a wrong that was perpetrated there. They have, in the context of this film, they have found each other again, and they've uh, potentially fallen in love again as Mike and Grace. And so they found each other again. They've connected again. But now the same threat arises, and the same threat this time comes from the same source as the initial threat happened, uh, because... Roman and Margaret were going to work out their problems. They were going to be fine. Um, and it was actually Frankie who uh, ultimately could not tolerate the continued union of of their romance. And so uh, I just found it interesting. And, and I, I feel like I'm doing a kind of a clumsy bit of, of trying to unpack it a bit. But I found it interesting that really Frankie in this story is benefiting by creating the problem between Mike and Grace and making that the problem. He said, you, he told her, you shouldn't have any more contact with Mr. Church. And he keeps talking about how Mr. Church is going to come in and, and he's going to have the sweetest words and it's all just going to unravel for you. When really that is just him continuing to perpetuate a conflict that benefits him by continuing to hide what he's really done. And so in a very clunky way, I'm kind of trying to unpack uh, that in our current times, we may be, continuing to perpetuate a conflict not realizing that it's being you know gasoline is being thrown on this fire by other sources that we really need to sort of turn and be like hey like let's try to do this a better way or let's try to uh let's try to address the real problem and not just continue this cycle of disparate conflicts so i feel like i've I've kind of stumbled through that but that's what i was trying to unpack with with dead again i don't know if that sparks anything for you hmm 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 Meanwhile, I'm just, I'm just the romantic SOB who's like, I, my takeaway was that loving human relationship transcends time and space and somehow our, <laughs> our, ourselves know ourselves and the energy and affection and love that is reflected from the cosmic source of all love, that being God, him or herself you know, carries us through and, and we'll, I don't know, something like that, you know, and I can tell which one of us is the romantic. And All right. Which, I know. And which- well, it's funny. The more you talked, I was like, Darren, <laughs> don't stir me up to, 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 you know, just frustration and calling out real world scenarios that, you know, incite my ire. Let me live in my happy place of Dame Emma and That's Sir right. Kenneth. And, That's right. And Mike and, Amanda and uh, Roman and Margaret and, you know, me and my spouse and you to your spouse and the the echoes of eternity that holds for us and how if we can't if we don't idolize those things, we can find in them some slice of the godness in us. And and yeah, let me just no. I'm going to come. I'm going to come your way. And maybe this will be maybe this will be our final note on this is I think that is true. And while I'm sitting here focusing on Frankie's motivations, you are doing what I want all of us to do and focus on the fact that Roman and Margaret find each other. They find each other again. I think it is completely significant that 
the film ends with a double shot of uh, Roman and Margaret going from black and white into color. That's great. I love it. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. They go from black and white into color and they share a sweet kiss at the, and then it goes to Mike and Grace who do the same. And I think that that is really it, that the, the takeaway could be that, uh, yes, while puppeteers and igniters and, uh, and enticers and people who would want to, uh, kind of keep the conflict perpetuated, uh, they, they will ultimately, perhaps, if we believe. Fall on a big ass pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> that will happen. That will happen. Um, they will, yeah, that, that, that love can transcend that and that love can transcend the boundaries of, uh, the, the, uh, injustices of time. And, uh, it's and so that, funny. You, I know you're not trying to spin me up here, but like, I keep thinking about what, what's coming to me. The, the, the progression here was, I th- was it last week? Listeners won't know this. We had, an insanely rough technical <laughs> problem last week. So I can't remember what was said on last week's episode or not. Cause we did like 15 different takes. <laughs> um, but I was talking about the peer who I kept. Yes. Frustratingly yeah. wondering. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned but that. That's what time. I feel like is, is coming to mind here. It's like the ability to name like in, in Mike and Amanda's case. Cause I think that ultimately is what her name Amanda's is. Amanda's her real name. To be. Yeah. He refers right. to her as grace, but Amanda's right, her real right. name. Yeah. Um, being able to name, okay, this guy is the one trying to do this. Like, yes. Mm-hmm. The value of being able to identify, mm-hmm. right? Yes. To be able to point to, not necessarily to uh, cause destruction of in the pointing to, sure, but right, to be able right, to right, identify right. and say, this is the thing that is creating, causing, stoking animus between us Mm -hmm. now the problem with mike and amanda is neither of them are conscious of this sort of story that they're involved in yes but where that's leading me is right back to lost (laughs) and the this powerful imagery inherent in that show of uh inherent in that story of the connectedness of of loving Mm -hmm. human relationship Mm -hmm. and specifically what's coming to mind is is the sideways story and how it begins to resolve itself of uh, you waking right. up the conscious right. awareness of what's happening and being mm-hmm. able to help each other in yes. to that new awareness yeah. of self it's yeah powerful. absolutely and the scales fall off your eyes and you, yep. and you and you see things renewed and uh and afresh and and it is it's 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 quite lovely and it's and uh and yeah i, I honestly sincerely I am fine to to leave it with your observations because I think that is uh, even more prominent in the film. We spend a lot of time with the romance between Roman and Margaret, and I am perfectly happy to let that have the it's, sort of final word. It's on like the- a roundhouse kick on a highway <laughs> in the middle of the day <laughs> on a completely unpopulated highway. So I'm just I mean, going to leap just- off the bridge and run away yeah. and and save Bye. my save my conflict for another day. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so no, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's leave it there. And, uh, you want to go to the fog meter? Let's do it. Why don't you, why don't you explain to listeners what the fog meter is? Oh, (laughs) y'all. Y'all. Like, like like Roman and Margaret, like Mike and Grace slash Amanda, like Sybil and Gilderoy. So too is fear (laughs) and God here at the fear of God. We use our own homebrewed metric of, um, fear and God, how yeah. scary a thing is and how substantive a thing is um, to kind of uh, uh, 
come out the other side with a little potion of of goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So on the fear metric, I don't think this movie is very scary. I do right, think right. some of it, not know it, not having seen it before, some of it's a little like jarring. Yeah, you know, I think yes, yes. I think even the end though, with the 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 scissor imagery repeated over and over, is a little hurt by the mm. by the datedness of the production. Sure, it, no, you know, I get that. You're like, yep. it's a little silly. <laughs> so, um, scare wise, I don't know, four. You, you know, know, it's funny because four was the number I had in my head, and ultimately where I'm going to land is because I think that this is a film that has some some nice thrills to it, um, but I think they are really that. I don't I don't think there's really they're really frights. There's some nice jumps, there's some nice startles, uh, but uh, but it is really more in sort of the suspense thriller vein, um, which is not a knock against it sure. at all. Just a, a sort of an observation on on the lower frame of the fear metric. Um, on the God factor, I'm going to say, so I, I, I think the film truly is more interested in just telling a compelling story in an interesting way uh, than it is about trying to, to, to sort of unpack or explore any sort of deep, heavy uh, themes. So uh, at, at the risk of underselling it a little bit, I'm going to go five. Hmm. I mean... I think sometimes um, love across time is all the substance you need. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to land at a seven on the substance. Doesn't have to be overly complicated. Sure. Just has to echo through eternity, Riri. I like the I like the cut of your jib there, uh, Nathan. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so that means that we give Dead Again, directed by Sir Kenneth Branagh, and starring Sir Kenneth Branagh and Dame Emma Thompson and Sir Derek Jacoby. Pretty sure he's a sir. And Campbell and, Scott's leg. And uh, <laughs> Campbell Scott's <laughs> leg. And uh, Mejour Because Campbell Robin Scott Williams may be and, in it, but his leg is a star. That is a true statement. Um, <laughs> so we give it... A five out of ten on the fog meter. So, um, which, which in terms of, you know, the fear and the substance meter definitely feels right. Um, but I think the most important question is, do you recommend dead again? I do. I want to watch dead again again. I highly recommend it. I think it's great. I think it's a great film. I think it's a wonderful early nineties thriller. And I think it's, uh, it, it, it's really accessible. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. I just, I was just thinking about like i am such an easy mark like, oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm thinking about shutter island last week and how when you turn off shutter island you want to go walk off a cliff <laughs> you know like it's just like oh where's the highest thing near me i'll just go step off of it um, where- <laughs> but i got skills like campbell so i'm gonna land on my feet you know <laughs> that's right uh, not breaking a thing oh uh God. whereas you end dead again and you're just like you just want to float on the wings of love oh on the wings of love so yes um i think recommendations from us both uh for sir kenneth Branagh's dead again uh and that puts episode two of season two of in the morning uh where we're covering the leftovers and a series of films about revelations and hidden and surprise and secret revelations um next week we are going to be going to another film of uh, a, a kind of a similar framework. Uh, we are going to be going to James Mangold's Identity. 
starring John Cusack and Amanda Peet and Ray Liotta and a couple of other uh, famous faces. So uh, acquaint yourself with Identity for next week. We are also going to be covering episodes five and six, which I have already seen, but Nathan still has to watch. Um, of I mean, uh, I saw them a long time ago. Sure. Just, no, no, I get, it. I get it. I get it. No. We had a, what I thought was a gentleman's pact, too. Yeah, no. That's, I nope. Mean, no, that's, so much for that cross-time love. No, it's... A, it's in the past. Okay. Yep. <laughs> it's just like that was that was uh, uh for some scissors. Yeah, that was lead and uh Rathen and uh, yeah. this yeah, is yeah, yeah. this is now. Okay. Um so uh so yeah, acquaint yourself with episodes five and six of the leftovers and James Mangold's identity. We'll we'll be back next week to discuss that. And uh, until then, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.